So, um, so a few weeks ago, I preached a message on the finish line. And I said, we need to make sure that we define the finish line so that we don't quit before God is done. And today I want to continue in that same stream and we're going to look in Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I want to offer some context and then we'll stand to read this together. But this is the, 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 uh, the Hebrew people had been, the, Israels, the Israelites had been in captivity in Babylon. And this is the first generation who's come out of Babylon and, and they had to remake their lives. And so they made themselves busy with rebuilding their lives. Like you would if you had been in captivity for a long time and you come back. You've got to make sense of the world around you and, and create new norms and reestablish yourself on the ground. And so they started, they started building homes and they probably opened businesses and they started cultivating the ground. And, and one of the things they did is they started to build the temple for God. But when they started building the temple for God, they ran into some severe persecution. They ran into some opposition and they stopped. The devil is pleased for us to run down some streets, to go do some, some, some things that are less pleasing to God. He's pleased to let you run into a bad relationship. The enemy will let you run back into a bad relationship. He'll let you hide from a large group meeting. The enemy will let you hide from church and not attend. He'll let you not read your Bible. He'll let you not give generously of the resources that you have. The enemy's pleased to let you, uh, to let you harbor unforgiveness and to stir hatred and anger and to talk behind people's backs and to gossip. The enemy, in fact, he, he relishes that. He doesn't enjoy it because he has no enjoyment, but he relishes it when we, when we go the wrong way and he'll cheer us on down that, down that path. The enemy's fine for us to binge watch Netflix. Has anybody ever experienced any opposition when you wanted to binge, binge watch Netflix? Never, right? It's like the easiest thing that you could possibly do to check out and watch TV. I've never experienced opposition. The most opposition I've had is when I'm laying on the couch and I lose the remote and I hadn't even moved. That's a confusing thing that happens sometimes, right? Anybody else lost the remote without moving? Gentlemen, it's confusing. Or the battery's dying and it only works some of the time and it's easier to keep pressing the button than it is to go get new batteries. That's the most opposition we'll ever face if we want to do nothing. But the second we start putting our hand to doing something of value, the opposition starts to come and it starts to become difficult. And, it, and all of a sudden it doesn't seem such a pleasant and exciting thing. You were going to do this, this good thing because you expected certain results and you step in to do it. And the results are the opposite of what you thought you were going to get. I remember one time Megan and I were praying about an opportunity that I had. And I was like, Megs, what, what do you think we should do? And, and she's like, I think you should do it. I feel like God's telling me that I would love the man that you're going to become as a result of this. And I was like, awesome, I'm all in. I want, my life, I want my wife to love me more. I knew I needed some work. We were young and still are young, but I was, we were younger. And I was like, gosh, God could do some things. And I was so excited. I was like, I'm going to be a stud. This opportunity is going to make me into this extraordinary person. And so I took, I took the job, and it was the worst experience of my life. It was the worst experience. I wasn't sleeping. I was losing my hair. I was putting on weight. I had heart palpitations. My cholesterol went nuts. I'm like 23, 24 years old. It was bananas. Made no sense at all. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, she said she'd love the man to become a person. You know, and I couldn't even figure it out. She looked at me one day, and she goes, I just hope I get my husband back someday. And it was like, this is your fault. You're supposed to love me like this. <laughs> you said you love me more. <laughs> love this mess of a man, you know? <laughs> this is God's work in me. <laughs> Anybody else ever been there? 
Anybody else looking forward to marriage now? <laughs> Y'all pass. Opposition comes, and it's not what we expect it to be or dreamt it to be because God's doing something different. God's doing something greater and more enduring than the temporary work that we normally set our eyes on. I want to ask this question. What have you quit fighting for that is worth fighting for? Now, we waste a lot of energy fighting for things we shouldn't be fighting for. And the way to know the difference between the thing that you should be fighting for and the thing that you shouldn't be fighting for is what wise counsel, scripture, and the confirmation of the Holy Spirit brings to us. But so often we're just kind of set in on what it is that we want. So we don't know, should I fight for this or should I not fight for this? I'll tell you some things that you should always fight for. You should always fight for your relationship with Jesus. You should always fight for your marriage. You should always fight for your family. You should always fight for your friends. You don't always have to fight for your finances. You don't always have to fight for that promotion. You don't always have to fight for, for your World Cup team. We use a lot of emotional and spiritual and soul energy fighting for things that aren't so important. But they've taken the place of something else that's significantly important. Opposition came and they got distracted. They, they, hit, the, they hit the brakes and they started focusing on their homes instead. And they started focusing on the things that they could do without opposition. They took their eye off the prize and started doing these other things because those things came with ease. And it didn't come with the battle that they didn't want to fight. And so that's where we find ourselves here. Zechariah comes to encourage the people to sell out for the work of God in their generation. And through a series of prophetic images that that precede this passage that that we're going to read... Uh, he makes the promise that God's going to do an extraordinary thing on their behalf. Now, before we read this, I want to say that when we read these things from the Old Testament, I am not Zechariah. You are not Zerubbabel. We are not the Israelites. We are grafted into them. We, are inher- we inherit the promises now with them because of the work of Jesus. But it's not like we can superimpose ourselves here. This is something that happened. This is something that that occurred. This is something that's historical. It's fact. But it has application for us today. So as we look at this, what I want to do is I want to look at what happened, but quickly get to our application so that we can be encouraged by this and so that we can be ready to fight and ready to push through the opposition that's coming when we do God's work. Amen? So if you could stand to your feet with me. We're going to read Zechariah. Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. We'll read this together. We stand in reverence to Scripture just so we can acknowledge that this is the most significant part of every message. This is God's Word, and it's sharp to divide between soul, joint, and marrow. It's, it's, the, it's God's Word that has the capacity and ability to change. Everything else is a description of this. Everything else is an explanation of this, a menu of sorts. And so if you would read with me. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? For Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. This is God's word. Father, we thank you for this. I ask that you would awaken us to the reality of your kingdom to the reality of your purposes, and you would stir in us a desire for your purposes to be accomplished in our lives, in our community, and globally. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
The extraordinary thing, or one of the extraordinary things about the gospel is that Jesus didn't see us in our sin and just say, they must, they must die, kill them. Amen. They broke my law. The wages of sin is death. Kill them all. God would have been righteous and just if he had done so. But God is also loving and merciful and gracious towards us. Now, he's not, his, his graciousness and his justice aren't in a battle with one another. It's not like he's got to compromise his grace to be just or compromise his justice to be gracious. He's 100% graceful and 100% just. And so out of that place, he decided to do something extraordinarily different. Instead of, instead of wiping us out like we deserve when we've sinned, he instead sent his son and, and allowed his son to die in our, and die in our place and establish uh, and, and reestablish the plan on earth so that the kingdom of God could be established among us. He didn't say, try harder next time, which is reincarnation. He said, I've done this for you. He didn't say, deny your desires. That's Buddhism. He said, I'm going to give you new desires. He didn't say, be one with the universe, which is kind of a new age thing. He said, I am the way. Be one with me and I'll make sense of the universe for you. He he didn't say, if you give enough money, pray five times a day and make a holy pilgrimage and fast, then you'll be saved. That's Islam and you only might get saved. The only pilgrimage that's required for us is the pilgrimage to the cross. It's the pilgrimage to open up our hands and receive the gift of salvation that God desires to give to each and every one of us. In response to the sin of man, God came near. God draws near to man in his sinful condition. He always has. All throughout scripture, you see Adam and Eve. When they sinned against God, their eyes opened. They realized they were naked. And God didn't go, oh, they're humiliated in their sin and shame. Ew, yucky, gross sin. I'm going to stay far from them. Instead, he came near and he said, where are you? Not because he didn't know where they are, but he wanted, him, he wanted them to know, I know where you are. Do you know where you are? And do you understand your condition? And so he came down, he drew near. And, and for lack of time, I can't go into detail, but they had a temporary covering. God covered them with a more, a more permanent covering and then promised that he would cover them for the rest of their life and he would deal with sin always and forever. And that's an extraordinary thing that God draws near to us in our sin and he draws near to us in our difficulty and he draws near to us in our pain. He draws near to us in our suffering. He draws near to us when we're opposed. He draws near to us when we're persecuted. He took our place and died the sinner's death so that we could have the fullness of life. And then, and then he places us in family, which is, which is awesome. He doesn't say, just go figure it out by yourself, which he could have done. And that was more than we could have ever asked, think, or imagined. That's more than we could deserve if, if, if he saved us and did all these things to us. But then he places us in family. And he doesn't just place us in family. Then he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can live the most fulfilling life possible in this life. Y'all, it's, ex- it's amazing to me. It's extraordinary how far God went. He didn't just kind of save us. He didn't just kind of redeem us. He fully saves and fully redeems and fully brings us from death into life. And so he gives us his Holy Spirit and, and gives us a mission. He gives us a purpose. He says, advance the gospel. Do like I did. Teach everybody to obey what I've commanded you to do. To baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then all the other teachings, they preceded that great commission moment. 
where he reestablished what the kingdom of God would look like in this life. Now, for the, uh, for the people who were coming out of Babylon, the people who were coming in, out of exile, their project was to build a place that God would dwell. The project before us, family, is to become a people in which God would be pleased to dwell. It's for you to be a person in whom God richly dwells. For me to be a person in whom God richly dwells and for us to be a people in whom God is pleased to richly dwell. You know, what our, what our community doesn't need and what the world doesn't need is nice buildings or movie nights. It doesn't, it doesn't need plans or strategies. It doesn't need uh, a, bunch of, uh, a bunch of people to gather in a room on, on Sunday morning. The world, the world doesn't need that. What the world needs is the body of Christ to be, to be comprised of men and women who are filled with the Spirit of God, who have a word of encouragement, a word that can change lives, filled with faith and expectation, a relationship with God that can, that can invite God to do supernatural things in our midst right now. You know, that's what the community needs. It needs men and women who are in love with Jesus and so filled with him that they've got Jesus to share all the time. At the water cooler, at the stoplight, you know, hey, Jesus loves you instead of whatever else you're saying at the stoplight. <laughs> we need to be people who are so filled with the grace and the mercy of God that that's the overflow that they receive. That's what our, that's what our world needs. It needs people who are so immersed in the kingdom of, of heaven in their hearts and minds that, that we just, we just that, it, that it advances everywhere that we put our feet. To be those kinds of people is, is an impossible thing for us to do of our own accord. It's impossible for us to accomplish that on our own. So how do we become these people? And, and the answer is first given in two ways that it's not going to be done. It's not by might. The word might means collective strength. So it's not by our collective strength that we're going to be able to be the people of God who are filled with the people of God so that we can accomplish the mission and the purposes of God in this life. Collective strength is, an, is, a, is a wonderful thing, and it's a powerful thing, and it's an important thing. You can't deny the power of unity as, as a significant uh, momentum builder and as a significant synergy kind of thing that you are able to press forward and do things that you're unable to do on your own. The whole thing about draft horses, like one can pull two tons and two can pull 11 tons. You know, those, those kinds of stats, I probably butchered it, but you can Google it. Don't, don't let the truth ruin a good story. <laughs> What? So, but, but two are able to do far more than one's able to do on its own. And, and we, we know that. You see that the unified teams in the World Cup are beating the disunified teams in the World Cup. You see that when we work together, we can do things that are impossible for us to do on our own. An African proverb, you can go, you can go fast by yourself, but you can go far with people. And it's true that more is accomplished when we're with people and we're unified. So when is it bad for people to be unified? When is collective strength bad? The answer to that question is when it's in the place of the power of God. The collective strength of people is bad when it's instead of the power of God. 
And we need to watch out for this in our lives because oftentimes we, we fall back into the power of ourselves or we fall back into the power of our group and the power of an inspirational word and what's Jeff Bezos saying or what's, what's this person saying or what's this encouragement guru saying. And then we fall back into ourselves and we exchange the power of God and the purposes of God for this, for this lighter, easier, counterfeit version of what God desires to do in our lives. And the second thing is the way that it's not going to be accomplished is it's not going to be accomplished by power. The word power here in in the Hebrew speaks about ability. So it's not your skill set. It's not how good you are or how bad you are at something. I think some of us have been going, I would be more free if only I was more capable. If only I had better skill sets, I would, be, I would be more free than I am right now. I just don't have that skill set. If I had what JC had, I'd be free by now. Or if I had what Jermaine had, I'd be free by now. But that's not what this passage teaches. That's not what's being instructed here. That it's not according to our ability that, that God's purposes are going to be accomplished in our lives. Because it's not according to our ability, but it's according to something else altogether. Zechariah was an encouraging prophet. He was super encouraging through the whole thing. And so it would be easy to miss the warning that's nested in this. He's saying it's not by strength, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And, and maybe a different prophet would be, hey, dummies! <laughs> You're missing it! You're trying to do it yourselves and you're not going to make it. You're trying to do it all by yourselves, but you've forgotten God. Another prophet might have said it that way. But he's not doing that. Psalm 127 reminds us of the same thing. Unless the Lord builds the house, the people labor in vain. If you're able to do any of this according to your own genius, according to your own strength and your own effort, it will be a monument to you instead of a monument to God. And God is interested in the credit. So he regularly gives us less than we, than, than we need to accomplish the end because he wants to accomplish the end. Because he wants the glory in it. You see this in, in the book of Mark with the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000, 5,000, 4,000. You see, you see these feedings and then the feeding of the 4,000, uh, you know, you've just got some fish and some loaves and you're like, what do we even do with this? What we have isn't, isn't enough. The little that we have, we can't feed these multitudes. And God's like, just give me what you've got. And the little that you've got, I can make into much. And we can accomplish something you couldn't accomplish on your own. God loves putting us in situations where we don't have enough to accomplish the dream that he had put in our heart. Or to accomplish the, the thing, that, the, the real need that's at hand. In the feeding of the 4,000, the need was at, that was at hand was feeding a multitude. They couldn't do that. The need before us is to become a people who, are, who God would be pleased to dwell in. Man, I've, I've strived. I'm good until I'm hungry. I'm real pleasing to God on my own until, until about dinner time. We're running about 15 minutes late. I'm like, you know those Snickers commercials where people turn into Betty White? I'm not Betty White, I'm worse. Right? I, just, I just turn into a whole other kind of thing. And it's like, man, I was doing so well by myself until I was reminded of my shortcomings. <laughs> I'm just talking about me, not, not you. Paul said, I didn't come with persuasive speech. Because he knew that even his persuasive speech could only move somebody temporarily in a direction where God can move somebody permanently where they need to be. 
I can promise you that we're not going to see the purposes of God accomplished in our lives or in this community through a great strategy or good meetings. Our, our new space at Ridgetop Coffee, we're excited about it. And we're, we're, we're calling it office space now just to clarify, we're not moving anywhere. We're not going anywhere. We're staying here because it's strategically important for us in the community to be at Dominion High School for as long as they'll have us. It, Dominion High School is not in the way of us being able to make disciples of the nations. Amen. And that's what God's called us to do. Being at Dominion High School has not limited our ability to influence. It, is not lim- it makes us maybe less attractive to people who would jump from another church into our church if we had a nice building. I'm good with that. You know what scares, scares me to death right now? You know, they're talking about Apple coming and getting some space and they're talking in, in our community and they're talking about Amazon coming and getting space and they're talking about between the two of them, anywhere from 20 to 50,000 people moving into the community. This is what makes me nervous is that if these people come, that's a whole lot of people visiting churches who are, who are gonna transfer and transfers, okay, God moves people around and I get that and if people come, you're welcome here. We'd love to see you. It's a great church. We love you. It's good. That was for Facebook. So... so but that's not what we're going for because we could be real busy and real excited that we've got all these guests and the church starts growing and we got all these people coming, but not a single person of those is being one who was previously unchurched or unbelieving in God. Excited about church transfer. Excited about it. It's great. If you came from another church, we love that. We love that. If you've been here and you came from another church, we love that you're here. But, but, the, but the heartbeat of this church is not just for us to rearrange and to be, and to be placed here. We, we need to reach those who aren't reached yet. The statistics are staggering about the number of people who aren't attending church anymore. And, and it would be real easy to miss that if if the numbers go up. And so it's just something I'm looking for. Are we, are we having a meaningful impact in the community? Anyway, so that's all, that's all on the side, but we need to make sure that we, our heart, our hearts cry is for the lost. It's for each other, certainly, but we define discipleship as a threefold thing. It's a call to follow God. It's a call to fellowship with believers and a call to fish for men. You tracking? It's a threefold call. A disciple that's just following, following God but has no concern for, for people is missing it. A disciple who is, who is following God and loves being at church and, and just loves other Christians, you're missing something. The threefold call is to do those three things and that our heart should be so turned up towards God. Some people call it, well, it doesn't matter what some people call it. It's the threefold call. And it's important to us that we, that we burn with that passion. And so we're here because it's strategically important. But being at Dominion High School isn't an obstacle to that. It is not an obstacle to us being able to be light in the community. If it ever becomes an obstacle, if it's ever like, man, we can't do what God's calling us to do because we're here, then we can, we can have a conversation about something else. But for now, the space that we have at Ridgetop is going to provide ample opportunity for us to gather throughout the week and to pray and to have classes and do the things that we haven't been able to do on Sundays without having to drive to Chantilly to have those meetings. Amen? But it's not going to be through buildings. It's not going to be through this space at Ridgetop. It's not through a strategy. It's not through movie nights. It's by the Spirit of God. It's by my Spirit, says the Lord. Now, the Spirit... This word right here, sometimes we soften it and, and we were like, okay, not, but by my spirit. And we think of it not in terms of God himself. We're like, think of it in terms of like God's idea. You ever, you ever fall into that trap where you read, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Because we talk about the spirit of the law. Is like, generally speaking, what the law is aiming at. 
right? So we use the word spirit to describe a whole lot of other things and to describe it a whole, a whole lot of other ways in our culture and in our society. And I fear one of the things that's happened is that even in the church, when we read about the spirit of God, we just think about the general feeling or the general essence of God instead of the fullness of God himself. And so what this is saying is that it's not going to be by bite, it's not going to be by power, but it's going to be by God himself that this thing is going to be accomplished. The transformation that you need so desperately, that's so easy to give up on, is not going to be accomplished by yourself, but the fullness of God coming after you and transforming your life. It's the fullness of God reaching out into the community and stirring people's hearts for their desperate need for him. It's God stirring our hearts for our desperate need for him to receive the transformation, the newness, and the freedom that we're looking for. Y'all are quiet today. Spirit equals God himself, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is not an it. He's not an ambiguous force. He's not a power to be harnessed. He's not a fleecy white cloud. He's not, he's, not a, he's not a ghost or a concept in the sense that we know of Casper or the sixth sense. He's not a ghost like that. He's, he's, he is not just a gift. It's the fullness of God. And we're invited to a place where we bring our very little to the presence of Almighty God and we say, this is what I have. This is our little collective strength. This is my little little bitty ability. God, can you do something extraordinary with it? And what God is calling us to is a place where we bring our little to God's much and so he can do something extraordinary. Where we bring our natural, he brings his super and it becomes supernatural move of God so that our lives are transformed and the community's lives are transformed and people can be set. Guys, what I'm talking about is being set free from addiction. What I'm saying is you don't need to be held captive by pornography. What I'm saying is you don't need to be held captive to a bottle. You don't need to be held captive to prescription drugs. What I'm saying is that your marriage doesn't have to be a disaster and your children can have extraordinary lives even if you've already messed up a bunch. Y'all, that's what, like, well, let's get it out of this ambiguous kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm struggling because I've got an electric bill that's, you know, kind of due, and I've got a little bit more debt than I thought, or I really would like that promotion, and somebody else got it, and I'm having a difficult time with that family. We, we need to be desperate for God to do what only he can do so that we can be what it is that he's called us to be. We're, we're too easily satisfied building our own houses. We're too easily occupied building our own businesses and tilling the soil. We're too easily distracted. C.S. Lewis talks about making mud pies when a paradise is available for us. We have an opportunity in Jesus to be absolutely transformed. It's not going to happen on our own strength or our own ability. We have an opportunity to be a people who have an extraordinary and significant impact in the community. But it's not going to be our good ideas, our good looks. It's not going to be the promotions. It's not going to be it's not going to be whether or not we have fog during the worship service. A little bit of smoke, a little bit of smoke, like just a little pretend glory cloud. 
It's not moving backgrounds. It's not good slides or bad slides. It's none of those things. It's not the cool little G logo that the balls drop into, you know, that, that, that we made. I was so excited about that. I was like, the community's going to be changed because of that little. <laughs> can, you, can you play that in video, people? Can you play that little ball drop thing? Just this is the kind of thing that we get excited about. It's powerful. It's powerful. Do you know how much energy it took to make that thing? Do you know how many lives have been transformed because of it? (laughs) It's so easy to get distracted by all these other things when really we need to be desperate for God himself to come and move in an extraordinary manner. I want to pray today. I want to ask God to show us I want, I, want to, I want God to show us where we've settled. I want God to show us where we've been building our own houses so that, we can, so that we can respond appropriately to him and give him the place of authority that he has. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that right now in this moment, that according to your loving kindness, your gentleness, your compassion, and your mercy towards us, that you would instruct us, that you would reveal to us places where we've taken your place and we've been trying to do things according to our own manner, according to our own pattern, instead of trusting in you, God, the places where we've relied on other people and our collective strength or we've relied on ourselves and our abilities instead of yours. God, I ask that you would tenderly reveal that to us so that by faith we can repent and turn from that. So if God's put something on your heart, I just want you to pray with me. If you're aware of that area, you're like, man, I've been trying to, I've been doing that. That's, I'm, I've been getting the results that I, that I can get and you're ready for God's results. Let's, let's, let's pray and believe God to do something extraordinary. So Father, we recognize these places where we've been holding on and living according to our own strength. And I, I see today that that's, that wasn't, that's wrong and it's not pleasing to you. I invite you to come by the power of your love that you, Holy Spirit, would come and transform us. I repent for doing things according to my own strength and my own power and I ask you to do in my life what I've been unable to do by myself. In Jesus' name, amen.